I'm Vince. And I'm Travis. And we're about to ruin your games and stuff. This is Travis! Welcome to Undesign. Travis, how you doing today, brother? I'm all right. How about you? Man, I am okay. That's what I am. So you thought I was going to go high? Now I went middle. I'm okay. Cool. All right. So this will be a uh, very even keel episode, I guess. Yes, we'll, we'll that's both, right. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, as, it's as if we're both highly medicated. Absolutely. I am I am full up on my Prozac. I'm ready to go. Absolutely. Sounds good. Um, since you're ready to go, um, I rolled up a thing today. You did. And uh, it's a thing that is probably near and dear to your heart because you care about these things now a lot. So why don't you tell the people what you care about? So today, you rolled up miniatures in RPGs, the use of miniatures in RPGs. And I'm going to go ahead and start out. You thought this was going to be even keel? No, it isn't. Ha, tricked you. Way to ruin expectation. Exactly. I flipped this. I changed the game. Here we go. I hate them. I hate them in RPGs. I love miniatures. I spend an inordinate amount of time painting miniatures. I have multiple armies for multiple game systems. I love miniature wargaming. I despise miniatures in RPGs. I hate everything about them. Everything, exempting one small thing that I'll get to in a minute. I hate everything about miniatures being used in RPGs. Wow, so you feel, feel uh, kind of strongly about it, right? A little bit. I have some opinions. That's... That's that's a, that, that's yeah, it's, that's a lot of opinions right there. That is a uh, a serious opinion, you know. Hate that's hate. A, again. That's your that's your word. Hate. So uh, I'm sticking with hate. So okay. So so why why do you hate miniatures and RPGs? All right. So let's let, first before I get into my hate exactly, I want to take a quick little history lesson. We're we're gonna do a little like dissolve, right? So. All right, if we have to. All right. Sure. So, obviously, miniatures and wargaming miniatures have a sort of long history, right? Going back to, like, the 60s and even back before that, little little brass and br toy soldiers were, were common toys going back to, like, the turn of the century. Yeah. Um, and probably further back than than than's recorded, even, actually. I mean, sure. toy soldiers, that has to have been a thing forever, right? Totally. I don't know how often... I don't know when they became, like, a child's toy. I, I know for sure... They were a child's toy around the late 1800s, probably back even farther. So, um, the sometime around the 60s, you know, 50s, 60s, war games come into into fashion. That's where they really start taking off, become big business. You have miniatures involved in those. Most of them are small, simple things. Very, very tiny troops, usually not very detailed. They, they it was about it was a different sort of thing. We get into the 70s. RPGs come out, right? And you get this company, Ral Partha, that starts making miniatures for your characters. And the idea of the thing was less to be moving around on a board, as we think about it, and more just having a miniature to represent your character. You might have it sitting on the board, maybe representing your party order or, or something, but more just a visual representation of your character, something for you to take and paint. And a partnership with Ral Partha is what actually allowed Games Workshop to start producing miniatures to make Warhammer. So this all went full circle. Anyway, so the point being is that these two areas are really muddled up and mixed. Now, 
let's the get two areas being war games and the miniatures for RPGs, right? Like, okay. like they're all in each other's stuff. Um, right. So what you're what you're actually saying is they didn't start out as RPG things; they started out as war game things. It went it went war games, then RPGs, then back to war games. Right? It kind of went all the way around the circle and came. But then it went back around again because over time those miniatures stopped being just visual representations of your character for a game that was taking place in the theater of the mind, right? And they started becoming a thing to actually, like, utilize on a grid or, uh, you know, a, a hex map or something like that, right? Yeah, they're, they're, they, they turned into pure physical representations for the imagined elements of a game. Your yes. characters and environment primarily, although I guess like uh, some s spells and things like that and the cause and effect style template things appeared too at some point, but yes. So to me, this really became, it was certainly around, but it really came into its own in third edition. Third ed D and D is when this blew up. I'm not saying it was the first, not even close. I'm saying it's when it hit the mainstream. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean that uh, yeah it did. Um, third edition made it uh, very commonplace to to have games that were focused on strategy elements uh, as much as they were role playing elements. So they took they took the the RP and the G um, as e equally important aspects of the game. Yeah. Right. Sure. Um, as opposed to focusing on one or the other, which m most games tended to do beforehand. Although, like as you said, it wasn't the first one to do that. You know, Mech Warrior, uh, I'm sure was way before that, and there were other you know games that had uh, systems that certainly felt like a hybrid between a board game and a role playing game, as opposed to actually just being a role playing game. Yeah, MechWarrior is an excellent example, right? Because MechWarrior was theoretically an RPG, but then when you got into this mech combat, you'd suddenly go back to, like, the Battletech hex map, get out your little mechs, and, you know, drive them around and have a fight. And it was suddenly a tabletop war game as opposed to something else. Yes. Whereas D&D was a little more integrated, but, you know, everything got very mathematically clean. And, and people who defend the use of miniatures in RPGs will usually take a tack like that, right? They'll be like, well, it lets you have a clear representation of the battle. It always comes back to combat, because that's the only time these things are valuable, right. is combat. And, or, or, I mean, to, sh to show off your paint jobs. <laughs> I guess that's... Sure, like I said, I don't have any problem. That's my one exception. If, if we're talking the original Ral Partha conception of you paint a miniature to represent your character, to have it it's sitting in front of you at the table, or to be like, this is my guy. I'm totally cool with that. That I'm all right with. That's my one exception. It's when you want to you use the thing to bring yeah, the I game don't know. out I, of your I, mind. I can't even I can't even get behind that that original intended use of it. Honestly, like I feel I feel like that's just watered down. D like that's like that's like uh, I don't know. I I I don't. I wouldn't get any anything interesting out of playing a, 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 a some kind of GI Joe game. And then taking a stock standard Duke character and then repainting him right. into something else, I wouldn't get anything out of that because that's not me imagining anything other than some colors on a thing, as opposed to actually imagining what something else looks like. Right. You're saying there's no way, like taking the time and putting in the description and the imagination uh, 
is uh, that's always going to be more evocative and, and right. the, the and that's the will point. Never live up. Right. Yeah. That's the that's the point. I'm not knocking painting like miniatures or or toys or whatever cuz all that's awesome and that's cool and that's interesting but it's not role playing. <laughs> like, right. That's that it's a completely different thing. It that doesn't have an, it, it doesn't it doesn't mesh well with an imagination based game. Right. And and that's exactly my point. I think you're dead on there. Okay? Because all those Ralph Partha miniatures I, you're not doing anything new. Okay, your character. If if everybody in every D and D game ever used one like one of those figures from one of the one of those uh, one one of the early years of Ralph Partha, right? Yep. Um, then how many original character looks w- would there actually be? Very very few, you know. Right. Um, your your all these characters are just the same, um, but with different different tonal color shifts. That's all. I mean, I, it's it's boring to me. I, I I get that. I'll, I'll, for me, it's not a big a deal to if somebody really loves painting a little fig and wants it in front of it. So, so. No, no, no. You should do that if, if you like to paint. You should paint yes. things. This is important. Do do so. That's uh, artwork, and it's important. Uh, I, I I just don't like. I I I don't I don't know. You can't you can't play a Transformers game and then give everybody the exact same Transformer right. toy and then paint each Transformer toy different. And have those looks be interesting, like they're they, they, like it just it loses, I don't know it loses something. Um, it's it's why it's why a lot of of uh, fiction fiction books and things don't have pictures of their characters. Yes, because you're not supposed to know you're not you're supposed to be able to you're supposed to imagine these things. You're not supposed to just know it. On, on the flip side, as a slight pushback to that, because it is aligned. A, a I think of like how much some people love the art and the, the, the illustrations of the Tolkien books, right? When the the ones that contained yeah. illustrations and stuff. So I there's good arguments both way on that. But to me in an RPG, the the argument for like the one of the problems is by having these miniatures and these boards and this investment, because remember at the same time as third edition, the D D minis game also came out, right? Which was itself a complete it it there was no RP at all. It was just a game, right? It was it was the it was a skirmish war game, right? And so that meant all these pre-painted plastic miniatures came out. And when you spend a couple hundred bucks on miniatures, and they're all over the place, and you've got these battle mats, you're gonna want to use them. And the problem with them is ultimately that they suck at their job. Okay, that is my ultimate argument. Uh, moving the figs around and measuring out the spell and having all of these things happen is slow and inefficient and just brings everything to a screeching halt. I think of how fast we did some combats. You know, you and I played for years, Theater of the Mind, right? Yeah. Think about how fast some of our combats were. You get in a fight, you'd be like, there's three bugbears that are over here. I'd be like, cool, I'm going to go over. I'll, I'm going to step up to the left one and hit him with my sword. Okay, great. Um, that happens. Then, you know, okay, the middle bugbear jumps out on you as well. The other bugbear charges at the uh, at the cleric who's at the at the front of the, your party. Okay, fantastic. Mm-hmm. Right? That's so fast. Right? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Uh, uh, because the, the, the thing about these physical representations 
is is that they're they're cut they're, yeah they, they kind of work against um speed and accuracy in storytelling um they're like but but there are other physical representations that are are highly useful like you just mentioned pictures in lord of the rings books and how, how you can get so many ideas from just glancing at a picture um these these p- game pieces work against that because there's 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 so fiddly there's so many little things you have to do with them like moving them around and and uh being being it being bound at all times by by this uh kind of as opposed to being a theater of the mind it's more like a cage of the mind yeah like, like it, you're stuck in these walls um and you can only move x number of squares now you need to look at all these different the different possibilities of which of those squares you want to move to and things like that that are just, it's, it's all just so hemmed in that uh it's it can slow the game down to a crawl exactly so god oh you just hit on so many things that just like literally i'm getting angry as i'm sitting here i started okay now i'm getting now i'm getting revved up i'm sorry um, no it's good this is good to talk about so so here's my thing you just said something so good travis i'm playing a fighter you're the dm there's some bugbears travis can i get to the bugbears can i get yes. over there and attack them great okay now <laughs> there you go yep, we're ready to move on <laughs> exactly but if there's a battle mat the answer becomes objective and i have to yeah. sit there and count okay i can move 30 1 2 3 4 5 6 what uh, happens when you move diagonal what, right. what happens when there's a barrel in the way can you move through other people that you're that are your friends uh can you move through monster squares do you have to squeeze through things etc whereas i could have just said hey can i get over to the bugbear and you could and, say and yes you yes. rationally find a pathway over to the bugbears right and and look at how much more efficient that is. Right. And, and even if there were obstacles in the way, the GM can still like in it like a like a really fast blitz kind of way, just tell you there's obstacles in the way, it's going to slow you down. Right. As opposed to having to decide which obstacles are in the way and how it slows you down. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And and oh man, I'm just there's there's so much more. Okay. So here's a, it, it, you're exactly right. It hems you in because it gives an objective answer. It removes power from the DM to give a subjective answer for something he really wants to happen. You as the DM might want the fighter to step up and fight that big bugbear boss, right? Because it's cool and it's narratively exciting. Mm-hmm. But it becomes artificially the wrong answer sometimes. Yes. Uh, because of because of the way these these physical elements interact with each other and they're forced to interact with each other that way. Yep. Because now the, 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 it just is. It is a, there is a question with an objective answer, and the player will just play to it. But moreover, that accuracy thing that I mentioned earlier that, every, mm-hmm. that a lot of people tout as an advantage is a disadvantage because the players get too much knowledge. Okay? I, then let's move forward into 4th edition where we started bringing in movement spells. Things that move people around, like attacks that can push people and slam people mm-hmm. and pull and all this crap, right? You can't do stuff like that, really, and have it be incredibly impactful most of the time without... You can't have it be a major part of your combat without a game board, right? Like, if you have spells right, it that just knock becomes, people... It starts to mean less. Right. If you have spells that knock people around and you don't have a game board with exact positioning, then when those things are useful are when you can, like, push people off of cliffs or into lava and stuff, which is fine, right? That's that's still useful. It's fun to throw people into lava. I don't think that's... I don't think I'm saying anything revolutionary here. Yeah. 
I know I have thrown many enemies off cliffs in my day. It's super fun. Um, but once these this pushing pulling nonsense became super popular, then what happened is, and you have like known initiatives, right? So what mm -hmm. you've got is a game mat where everything is, where all knowledge is accessible, right? The player can see where every person is, where every bad guy is. He can probably, he knows the movement of every player and probably the movement of every monster or something right. close Here to is a is a mathematical equation for everything. Yep. And there is a right answer and a wrong answer. And there's no choice anymore. It, yes. there, there's right and wrong. So what, so what happened, what would happen is this. Um, and I played this game. Like I, I did this and actively participated in this. Okay. Is... I as the one character would say, all right, I'm going to move up and I'm going to push that guy 10 feet. That'll get him 10 feet closer to that. Then I want you, the fighter who can pull three people to walk around the other side, pull the three of them closer to you. And then we're going to stack them in this order. Then the wizard's going to go and use his line spell to fire down the line of all three of them and hit all three of them. Okay. And somebody's going to hear me say that and go, that sounds awesome, but you just totally did tactics. No. You're not, like, fine. If, if this is a war game and that's what you want, then you're playing a skirmish war game, right? But we've left behind the world of an RPG because characters, players, are acting with way more knowledge than they should have in the world. Imagine you sitting there and actually trying to plot that out on the fly with people in the midst of combat. That's insanity. Right. It's, it's very, very, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, uh, there are exceptions. I, I'm sure, you know, um, the whole representation of intelligence we talked about in a previous episode at some point. Yes. Um, <clears throat> like these things could be possible. Uh, I, I, I don't, I don't know. I think there, there's certainly a, a gray area here because there's, I mean, there's nothing necessarily wrong with blending a war game with a, an RPG. No. Maybe that's what what will attract someone to the game itself more, um, because they have the opportunity to both play out these these strategy, you know, strategy games alongside being able to tell a story outside of the strategy portions of the game, um, which makes each portion of the game more interesting to them outright. Because you, you have you have that. Uh, that logical board game aspect of it that uh, that uh, engages your your critical thinking in uh, a specific way, and then you have the role playing aspect outside of it, which engage, engages your critical thinking in a completely different way. Uh, so it you know, stimulates other parts of your brain. You know, some people might be more attracted to that. I think that's okay. Um, I, I think most most of this for me comes down to whether or not the game is built for it or not. Like there there are games that are built for this kind of a you know, use of miniatures and some games uh, work better in theater of the mind. I, there you go. I think you've hit upon something very important there. Yeah. The game has to be, that has to be your expectation with the game. I, if, if you're yeah. playing a game that is meant to be super combat focused and meant to be very tactical and to be a blend of a war game and a RPG, then it's probably appropriate and it's okay. Yes. Do all those things, have all that inappropriate player knowledge, pull off these ridiculous maneuvers that are just beyond, you know, beyond any form of common sense or any sort of verisimilitude to how things would work. I, in know, I don't even like couching them that way. Honestly, I, I, I like they could, they could be looked at as opposed to being, you know, 
completely unrealistic and instead you could look at them as being cinematic um sure i suppose that's fair i i i my problem with cinematic as a description is that such a cop out and here's what i mean it is if i'm doing Uh, that every 10 seconds right it's no longer cinematic it's just a yeah another one of those churned out bad action movies (laughs) correct yeah uh, no, I agree, and I and I feel and I feel and I feel like that's a that really waters waters down thing. Like pushing someone over a cliff is usually it usually only happens once in in uh, storytelling, whether it's long form storytelling or short form storytelling, and it's not something that you do you you that you look to do in every single combat. It's not it's just not what happens. Um, and and what you're just what you had just described is you know doing it every time so it's a problem yes exactly when that becomes every moment i i feel that it loses its impact right um but i guess then you know my corollary would be in a game like D, which is theoretically not about simply that it's just inappropriate right because it draws too much attention away from everything else the reality is there's opportunity cost, right? It, it, a standard game of D&D, you've got, if you're lucky, you've got, what, three, four hours to play, right? Okay. The more you add miniatures, the more you add detail, the more you add this kind of stuff to combat, the longer combat takes. Um, an easy example, unless everybody just gets one hit, in which case you don't want to set up the miniatures to begin with, right? It has to take a certain amount of time to justify yeah. the setup. The design of yeah. these complex and, encounters and so on. Yeah, and and just just the even even basic usage of of uh, like miniatures in in games like that it takes it detracts from the game and the time you have to play the game simply from setting up the map. Like the, like yep. here here is a bar, all right, that I could have told you about in forty seconds of narration, um, but. You want to play with the miniatures, so you need me to draw out every bar stool and every table, uh, every every uh, the the bar itself, where all the patrons are, so, like all of that to play out a scene that's actually going to take about you know forty seconds in the game itself too. You yep. know what I mean? Exactly. Um. So you're you're turning you're turning uh, something that w- would have in total taken about a minute and a half to to uh, completely convey with words into a, a, a five to 30 minute encounter. Yes. You know, here's an easy Which example. Which is crazy. It is. Here's an easy example of this. And this isn't meant to bag on somebody who's our good friend, but the, when we, our, our good friend who has guest starred on a previous episode of this, this, uh, this podcast, we had an encounter in a game of his that I actually rather liked and love my character in. And there was an encounter in a ballroom, the large party. Okay. Now he happened to have a lot of sort of the, uh, I don't remember the name of it, Dungeon Forge or something, whatever. Like the the little, the like little um, rocks and stuff to make walls and and tables and chairs and you can set up a, a, a you know room, right? And rather than describing the ballroom to us, he wanted to make it real. Well, this was a big ballroom, and he was excited. I know he, as the GM, was excited because he had all the stuff, and in his mind, he was going to get to use his toys, right? And I get that. I'm not—that's fine. So what happened is 
we were in the middle of playing, knew this was coming, and stopped playing for like 30 minutes. It seriously took... had to lay down every bit. Yep, 30 minutes for him to lay out the floor tiles and the walls and to fill out the little accoutrement to put in the bookcases and set up the hallway and all this stuff. It was 30 minutes. That's not a joke. That's not an exaggeration. And then the we were in that room, okay, for a combat, which took, let's say, 30 or 45 minutes. Okay. And that was the last time we were ever in that room, and that was the only point of it. That is that is an inefficient use of that time. Yeah, it's kind of half and half. It's setup and, and reward. That's a lot, I don't know. Because it's a tough he, situation. He could have described the ballroom to me, and we could have gotten to the action. And then I could have gotten another 30 or 45 minutes of game. Mm-hmm. Right? You know, it's... Uh, yeah, but it's, it's, it's weird, though. There's a... Uh... Uh, I, don't, I don't know. There's kind of a give and take with it because people's, you know, people to this day probably still play Mousetrap. You know how long it takes to set that game up? Forever. <laughs> and and they play all kinds of board games that take tons of setup, right? Sure. Like, that's a thing. Like, there's uh, there are board games that take an hour to set up. You know what yep. I mean? Absolutely. Um, and they still really love playing them enough that they'll get the game out and spend that time to set it up. So I, I have to feel like there, there, like there is some kind of, there's some kind of reward in this situation. Sometimes some kind, some kind of uh, mental or you know chemical release reward for going through all this that people are attracted to because people still want to do that in their RPGs. They st- like a lot of people are still attracted to those kind of games that uh, promote that kind of style or or even allow for it in a minimum. They they're still attracted to let's set up this game, you know. Yeah, I mean, what I'll say is this. One, you're right. But, but, two, those games are usually very long, right? Like, if you think of these games that have really complex setup, they usually get played over many, many hours, even maybe multiple days. Right, the setup is worth the, the payout. Yes, they're not, they don't tend to be equal. It's not an hour to set up, hour to play. That's It's usually much longer in, endeavor. Um, two or three or C or whatever number or letter I'm on. Um <laughs> The rise of the new style of board game, like the thing that is insanely popular now, is the build the game as you go game, right? Where to get playing, you need one tile, right? And then you start exploring and you lay down more tiles. There are more games like this now than I can even begin to count on the market during because of the board game uh, bubble. But uh, it's like a glut. Yes, and those have very low setup times, right? And they have proven insanely popular. Um, and 4D IV, um, they, uh, there's nothing else, there's no opportunity cost there beyond your whole life, right, in the game. In other words, there's nothing else in the game to do except set up the game and play the game. In this game, there are many other things I could be doing, Talking to people, role-playing, exploring other things, getting in different adventures. You know, doing everything else that's the game that's not this room. Yeah. So the opportunity cost burns a lot hotter, in my mind. Um, So in the end... It certainly has everything else. It's a gray area where you have to look at it as, you know, you need to weigh weigh your setup time and 
how the miniatures and the use of miniatures and terrain are going to interact with the game you're about to play and then make a decision a judgment call based on what you know your your group likes and and doesn't like and what you can get away with it you know as far as what you like and what everyone else does and how that all interacts with each other it's a it's just another one of those things right Yes, I think so. Because, I mean, you can't just say it's the worst thing ever because I've had lots of games that had miniatures that were fun, um, that I had a lot of fun with, and I wouldn't want to go back and not have the miniatures present in. You know what I mean? I Like, the miniatures made things better. Um, <clears throat> in most of the... the uh, Most of my experiences with MechWarrior, the miniatures helped. And in at least 25% of my 3rd edition Dungeons & Dragons games... I'm pointing specifically at third edition because at before and after third edition, I'd never, I didn't use miniatures anymore. Right. Um, and previously didn't. I only used them in third edition 3.5 style game. Um, 25% of those games that used miniatures, I actually liked a lot. And I feel like the miniatures helped. Um, of course, the other 75% was, I, I felt differently. I probably would have rather had theater of the mind, but still they, you know, they enhanced the game at some point. I, I, I'm not opposed to that statement. Here is what I'll say. I think of the, so, so sometime during fourth edition, I had a fight. It was the party against like one big bad monster. Right. And I was already to the point where I was like sick of miniatures. And I said, okay, the, 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 the big bad is standing here. They were like in a throne room. It wasn't, there wasn't anything that visually exciting. It was about the confrontation of the big bad versus the party. Right. And I said, um, Okay, the person's here. This is what's going on. And they said, well, do you want to set up miniatures? I was like, no, it's the five of you and one person. You can imagine this. You don't freaking need miniatures. It's one person. They're on a two-foot high dais. Can you get it? Can you get it in your head? Good. Let's play the game. Right? Yeah. And and my point is, is that uh, you have to be careful with this. Because it can become this absurd scenario where we use miniatures. We just do. We use them all the time, even when they don't make sense. So what I would say is if you love them, if you're really like using them and you do see value, don't use them as a matter of course. Put thought into it. Does this fight really need it? Or will it? Is it just, you know, four goblins and, and a couple party members? And we can probably just work this out, right? But if it's a big, complicated environment with lots of components going on and different monsters in different places with different doing different things and you want environmental interactions, okay, it's a set-piece encounter is what it sounds like. So maybe you have the map pre-drawn or pre-set up before the game starts. That way you don't waste everybody's time during the game, and then you can still use the map, and you can have that fun of what it does bring to the table. In other words, try to use the right tool for the right job. Don't just assume... Don't. Don't treat everything like a nail and start hammering with miniatures. There you go. Oh, that sounds sounds pretty solid. Um, I think that covers everything. I'm going to call that undesigned. Undesigned, my friend. Thank you very much, everybody, for listening. Don't forget emails down below. Give us a shout if there's any topic you want us to cover. We always love to hear from you. See you next time. <laughs>